Isaiah chapter 40, and I call this essentially just a simple title, Life is Hard, God is Great, uh, Reflections on Isaiah 40. Um, so let's, uh, let's, look at the, let's look at the chapter together, and then we'll just walk through it slowly. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
So we, we come to Isaiah here, uh, and, and throughout the book of the prophecy, you know, we understand the, the prophet's job was to come to the people uh, when they were in error, they were not following the, the word of the Lord. We understand under the Mosaic Covenant there were going to be blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. Uh, and the, the, one of the prophet's jobs was to come to them and say, repent. Like, you're, you're, not, you're not following the law. You're not following the Lord. You need to repent and follow him. Another unique thing that the prophets uh, would foretell is when judgment was coming. Uh, that there was a point in the life of Israel we see, you know, God is, is just amazingly merciful and gracious and patient, patient over and over and over again. We, we see risings, we see fallings, um, faithfulness, unfaithfulness, and God just regularly is just kind and patient and gracious. But there's a time that's coming uh, for the life of the people of Israel that it's going to fill up the measure and it's going to be time and God's going to judge them. He's going to bring other nations to come in. They're going to be dispossessed from their land. They're going to be exiled. Many will die. Uh, and um, it's just part of God's plan. And, and, and he responded to their sin in, in a way that's in keeping with his righteousness and his character, um, which is just amazing. Uh, but Isaiah 1 through 39 kind of describing some more of Israel's plight and where they're at. And then Isaiah 40, it almost seems like it takes this turn within the prophecy in the book. And, and it talks about um, where the people can receive comfort and like looking forward for when they're coming back. Um, there's this comfort that can be spoken to them. So you can imagine, you know, leading up to exile, um, leading up to the difficulty of these nations that are coming in and assailing them. Uh, this is probably, for many, not a very fun time. Uh, this is not a good time. Uh, and so there's need for comfort here, even comfort that may not be immediately uh, received or understood, but something to look forward to. And the prophet here is called to comfort the people of God. Uh, so they're facing judgment. And in, in this passage, like I said, there's so much here, uh, and, and we could spend way more time uh, than we will on, on a lot of this, but just kind of as, a, as an overview, as a flyover of, of some of these truths, I want us just to see where, where there's comfort in these different parts of this chapter. Uh, and for me, honestly, some of it is surprising. You know, you come across some comfort here, it's like that maybe at first hearing wouldn't necessarily sound so very comforting, but there's comfort found throughout this chapter, and it's just remarkable, and, and I think very helpful for the reality that the Israelites were facing here. Life is hard, but God is great, and then by extension, you know, us being in as the people of God today, we recognize also life is hard, but to get us through that, God is great, and he helps us in the midst of it. So we can turn to God's word for help and for comfort in those times. So in verses 1 and 2, uh, comfort and forgiveness, uh, just as, as, as simple as can be. Verses, verses 1 and 2, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So this picture of this measure filling up of the Israelite sin and God saying, now it's time I'm going to come and dispossess you. I'm going to come and you'll be in exile for this, this uh, definitive amount of time. It wasn't going to be forever. There is a believing remnant that God takes care of in his mercy and his grace and his kindness. But the prophet is, is preaching to the people this comfort that her iniquity is pardoned. Now God doesn't stay angry with his people forever, and it's amazing. Um, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the people were to receive and to reflect on this and to be comforted by it, even in the midst of difficulty, this realization that one day, and when we come back to the land, you know, there's, there's forgiveness in God, there's forgiveness, and he is righteous and, and, and merciful to do so. So there's comfort in forgiveness. That's verses 1 and 2. Verses 3 through 5, there's comfort in the glory of God. Let's look at it together. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, obviously, there's, there's a lot here. Uh, there's going to be a lot of probably different reactions and, and, and feelings on the great day of the Lord. There's going to be a lot of distress uh, in those who don't know God and don't know Christ. But there's also this reality, and, and I think the prophet here is helping the people in this realization of the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. The glory of the Lord is going to be seen. And for those who are his, that's going to be a comforting thing. It's something to say that this time of distress is not going to last forever. And the Lord is going to come and he's going to conquer. His glory will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And that's that, what a great phrase attached to these verses. Uh, that it's according to the word of the Lord. He's declared it. It's going to happen. And we can trust in that. So there's comfort in the glory of God. As we continue to walk forward, um, we see the permanence of God's word. There's comfort in the permanence of God's word. Or you could also say there's comfort in his faithfulness. Look at verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Now, this is, this is one of those, this personally, that was uh, surprising to me, uh, to think of this in the realm of comfort. Um, because, I mean, you know, co comparing us to grass, like, that doesn't sound very comforting. The idea that this grass is going to wither, that doesn't sound very comforting, because by, by extension, that means that if I'm like grass, and I'm going to wither like the grass. But the comfort here is, like we said, is found in the permanence of God's word, or his faithfulness. So, you know, all, the, all flesh is grass. It's just like all the, the grass of the field that's going to fade away. The, the, the breath of the Lord blows on it and it withers. You know, it's just, you know, it's so, it's so transient. It's so finite. It's so frail. But the word of God stands forever. So the contrast here is helpful because we see I'm finite. I'm, I'm fickle and frail. I am, uh, I am passing away. But that's okay because God's word stands forever. And God's word has, has things to say about me. Even though I am fickle and frail and I'm passing away, there's a way in which God is going to sustain his people, even on to uh, eternity. And we can trust in that because the word of our God will stand forever. So there's comfort there that even though we're frail, even though we're failing and we're passing away, and the scriptures are just, it's just all over the place, uh, these ideas. Uh, one of them that I can't remember now, I, I think, and I keep telling myself I'm going to look it up, but I think it's Psalm 103, but if, if you know, you can correct me or we can look at it together later, um, where there's this idea of the grass um, dying and then the ground not even remembering its place. Uh, and so this picture of how uh, we, we're like the grass, like we're, we're here for a little bit of time and then we're gone. And if you think about it, you know, probably many of us won't be so remarkable in the sense of like that, you know, two or three generations down the road that they'll remember us. Now, my great-great-great-grandkids or great-grand-whatever, like, they're not going to remember me, most likely, unless they unearth some, I don't know, cell phone that they can recharge and see something I said. Like, funny how things change. Um, but the, the grass dies and the earth doesn't even remember its place. Like, we're replaced <laughs> regularly. We're, we're transient. We're a vapor. We're not here for long. But God's word stands forever, and we can take comfort in that. God's word stands forever, so praise God.
for that. There's comfort in his faithfulness or the permanence of his word. Uh, verses 9 through 11, there's comfort in the good news of the mighty God and the gentle shepherd. Look at verses 9 through 11. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, maybe every single time that I've looked at this part of the chapter, I haven't seen just right there next to each other these, um, I guess from one perspective, they could be seen as like opposing ideas or, or, or contrasting uh, um, realities. But we know that in God, he's, he's perfect in all his ways and, and, and he's, he does everything well. And so there's comfort in, in two surprising areas next to each other. So one of those things that we find comfort in, the good news of the mighty God. So there's this herald of good news, and there's this preaching of this good news. It says, behold your God. This is the good news. Behold him. The Lord God comes with might. So this is good news. Behold him. He comes with might. And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. That he's coming, and he's coming with his faithfulness. He's coming with his goodness. He's coming in might. He's coming in power. He's coming in rule and authority. Uh, and that's that's good for his people. It's good for us. And then look at this other idea just right up next to it. And you don't really think of a, of a, of a ruler and a mighty conqueror in terms of verse 11, but yet this describes God as well. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. A picture of tenderness and a picture of care and a picture of God walking alongside and taking care of his people. So he's coming in might, he's coming in victory, but he's also coming and going to shepherd his people in, in, a, in a wonderful and amazing and comforting way. So there's comfort in the good news of the mighty God and the gentle shepherd. Now, the next section is a, is a good bit longer, and, and I've broken it down into, uh, into individual pieces, but the overarching idea of verses 12 through 26, and as far as finding comfort, there's comfort in the greatness of God. So there's help, there's, there's comfort in the greatness of God. This, the, again, the prophet is reminding the people of these things that are true about God and it's supposed to help them when they are in the exile and when they're coming back from the exile to rejoice and to, and to hope in him. So there's comfort in the greatness of God. Let's look at it to, to get, at together. Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. So there's comfort in the greatness of God as displayed in creation. And I just love this. Uh, I love all this, obviously, but this in particular is just, because is, it's so visual, right? Uh, we, I've talked to, uh, in years past, when I've had the opportunity to teach younger ones in Sunday school and the students now, and, and it, it, this illustration is helpful to me. You know, there are big truths about God that I can't fit into my small brain, right? Like there's things about God that are just so, so good and so massive and so wonderful that I can't, I can't pack it in there. Like the Trinity or God's sovereignty and man's responsibility or any, any one of those things that are just these mind-blowing that, the, that God took on flesh, like the incarnation. These ideas, I, I, can't, I can't fit them. And I compare it to like going down even to the Mississippi Sound and dipping my hand in the water and picking up, like I can pick up some water and like there's water, but I can never like 
get all the water into my hand. I, I can't fit it all into the hollow of my hand. But look at what it says about God. And just in the realms of physical things. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And I mean, just there it is. Like all the water. All the water in the hollow of his hand. It's just amazing. That our God is so vast and he's so great. And we can find comfort in that. Uh, the idea of who has marked off the heavens with a span. Just kind of holding your hand up and, you know, kind of maybe gauging the distance of something. Like in the span of his hand, like all of the heavens fit. Like he's just bigger than all that. He's greater than all of that. Who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? Like you can't measure, well, I don't have a container big enough to measure all the dust on the earth, but God does. He's enclosed it uh, in a measure. Who's weighed the mountains and the scales? You can't pick those up. You can't pick them up and put them on a scale. There's nothing to weigh them against. Like, But God can. He's that great and he's that big. Or who's... Uh, weighed the heels in a balance. Same, same idea. And, and we don't walk away from that only fearful. We don't walk away from that. The people of Israel were not to walk away from that. And they would understand rightly that, wow, God's, God is so great. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's made and how he's got dominion over all of it. There's comfort there. Um, so there's comfort in the greatness of God as, uh, as displayed in creation. There's comfort in the greatness of God displayed through wisdom. Look at verses 13 and 14. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? I mean, that right there could take a long time to unpack all of that. But just this idea that God didn't go and ask for advice from anybody. Nobody can give him advice. They can't counsel him. You know, God, you really should do it this way instead of this way. Like, why'd you make it like that? You should have done this, and it would have been better, as if. You know, we, we, we just wonder at the wisdom of God and the way that he's put things in place. No one shows him counsel. We go to him for wisdom. We go to him for counsel, because if any of you are lacking wisdom, and that's everybody, right? James chapter 1, we're all lacking wisdom. Let him ask God, because God is the one who gives those things freely. Um, so there's comfort in the greatness of God is displayed in his wisdom. Uh, quickly moving forward, there's comfort in the display of the greatness of God in light of the nations. Look at verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Again, there's so much here, but it's just amazing. Like, if we just think of, of the, the, the context of the Israelites and, and the way that God just directs nations. It's like, this nation is going to go over here and they're going to dispossess these people. My people are going to go in and dispossess all these different nations to take this land. The people of Egypt are going to enslave the, the, you know, the, the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, for you know, 400 years. And it, God's, God's sovereignly directing over all of it, uh, and it's nothing for him. It's nothing for him just to be directing everything. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coast and it's like fine dust. Fifth, uh, verse 16, and there's so many pictures here. There's so many illustrations. And, and for, for me, this is so helpful because you think about verse 16. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. I've never been to Lebanon. I've never seen a cedar of Lebanon. But if you have read your Old Testament you see these, these cedars are touted as these massive, wonderful, sturdy, uh, useful trees. Um, but all of the cedars of Lebanon 
like all those trees cut down and laid on an altar, that wouldn't be enough to make a fire big enough that you could take all the animals that you could find and be a burnt offering large enough to appease God's wrath because of the sin of even one person, really. I mean, it's, it's not enough. <laughs> all of that, like it's just a picture, so that every bit of it's not enough. Um, God is bigger and he's great and he's great among the nations, uh, even his own people. Um, Verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. Now, something interesting about that is that's obviously true, that he's greater than all that. And yet, just as a side note here, you think about like God has still ordained that we would be significant, which is just fascinating. That in one way that you look at this, God is greater than the nations and they don't compare to him. But at the same time, God in his goodness and his love has, has counted people as significant. Having, you know, life and breath and, and, and making decisions and saying things and having actions. And there's a significance that he grants uh, to people, which is just amazing. But in the end, he is the one that has granted that significance. He's the one that has determined that it be so. And as such, he is greater uh, than, than the nations and the peoples. So... There's the greatness of God as displayed in, or in relationship to the nations. Look at the greatness of God as compared to idols in verses 18 through 20. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He, is too, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. I mean... God measures the heavens with a span. He holds the waters in the hollow of his hand. He's done all, he's greater than all the nations. He's sovereign over all that. It's almost comical, really. It's satirical here. Are you going to compare God to an idol? To something that some man made and put some precious metals on top of and makes it beautiful and makes it, here's, here's the best one. Here's, go out and get, get the best idol you can get. Like, it's, it's just utter, utterly ridiculous. Can't come, God is so much greater. An idol is nothing. Um, and God is greater. Uh, and so over against these false gods and these idols. I mean, because look, at, it, it, takes the, it takes the picture and makes it even more foolish. He who is too impoverished for an offering, this fine, beautiful idol, he chooses wood that won't rot. Like, he's trying to find a god that won't rot or fall over. It's just, it's, it's just comical. So obviously, you're not, we're not going to compare God to an idol. His greatness is displayed against those false gods. There's comfort in that. And then we see comfort in, in relationship to the rulers of the earth uh, and the greatness of God in, in relationship to the rulers of the earth. Look at verses 21 through 26. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So see the picture here in verses 21 to 26, and God and his greatness over against the greatness or so-called greatness of earthly 
rulers. We find comfort in the fact that God is truly great in contrast to these rulers. So the answer in verse 21, do you not know, do you not hear, has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Like they do know, they have heard. It's been, it's been told to them um, that God is the one who is doing these things, but it, it just over and over again, and we can identify, they just forget, just escapes them. Just, it goes away in the midst of the reality that life is hard. The reality that God is great sometimes just kind of flitters away from our mind. Uh, and and it, it hurts them. So yes, they know. Yes, they've heard. And he reminds them in verse 22, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. So he's up ruling over all of it. And the inhabitants are like grasshoppers. You're grasshoppers, you're small and frail. And um, God is so much bigger uh, than, his, than the people who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. So you just kind of imagine like, you know, maybe setting up a tent or putting up a curtain and kind of setting up a canopy or whatever. Like you're kind of in control of that, you're setting it up and like you're, you're kind of bigger than maybe what it's encapsulating. Like God stretched out the heavens like a curtain. And just, whoop, there it is. Like there's, there's the heavens. It was nothing for him. The, the rulers aren't like that. Because look at verse 23. He brings the princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Like, so God's over here been able to create everything. He's bigger than the inhabitants. The inhabitants are like grasshoppers. It's been like this from the foundations of the earth, and he can bring princes to nothing. Look at what it says about these princes. Scarcely are they planted, in verse 24. Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Take any long-standing government that you can think of, any successful nation, any successful dynasty, that maybe has been stretching on for thousands and thousands of years, like scarcely are they planted. Scarcely are they sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither. Right? What's a couple thousand years to eternal God? It's just amazing. And there's comfort in this. And God's, the reality of God and his greatness over against uh, these rulers. So the question comes, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One? No one. That's, that's the understood answer. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. So just looking at the heavenly bodies. Who created this? Well, these rulers didn't. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. So not only did he make them and put them in place, but he sustains them as well. No ruler can do that. No earthly human can do that. It's not even close. There's no one who compares to God. There's no one like him as we behold him in his truth, in his word. So there's comfort in the greatness of God as opposed to the, the greatness of any earthly ruler. So we move on to verses 27 through 31. And, and the heading here, um, one, one way we can look at it is you can find the Israelites were to find comfort in God's perfect watch care. Uh, and in his ceaseless sustaining. Look at verses 27 through 31. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. We'll, we'll stop there and, and just get an idea of this, this perfect watch care of God. Like God we know in the Psalms, in Psalm 121, he doesn't sleep or slumber. Behold, he who watches Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Like, he doesn't take a break. Like, his watch care is constant and it's perfect. He's ceaselessly sustaining everything. And yet, 
the Israelites have the, the, the gall to say, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. In the midst of their difficulty, which was real, in the midst of their suffering and, and trouble and distress, which was very real, they lose sight of this reality that God is still God and he is still in control and he is still watching over them and still preserving them and sustaining them. So it's folly for them to say, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. They're just wrong. And, and, and God is, is, is correcting them. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He's not ignorant to their plight. He knows the distress that they're in. He's, he's intimately acquainted and in he is sovereign over it. He knows of their distress, but he is everlasting. His, he doesn't faint, he doesn't get tired. And he, he's not confounded by it. He's not thinking, oh, Israel's in trouble. What am I going to do about it? You know, he's got wisdom that's unsearchable, and he has no trouble here. And so there's comfort in this perfect watch care, this ceaseless sustaining. He gives power to the faint, verse 29. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall, exalted, fall exhausted. So just another picture for us. You know, youths having lots of energy and strength. You go next door and see a bunch of youths running around, little ones, just tons of energy. Well, you know, after a few hours of that, they crash, right? They go to sleep. They fall exhausted. God's not like that. He continues in his strength perfectly. But they who, so even youths shall fall and be, uh, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk. And not faint. So there's there's help, and, and here we see the people are called to behold their God and to wait for Him. So in the midst of this reality that their life is hard and what they're about to walk through is going to be just awful, they can also behold God as great, and not just behold Him and see Him as great and perhaps distant. They wait for Him, and they wait for Him specifically for something. They wait patiently for him. They don't go off on their own devices or just forsake God. They don't run away. That's not what they're to do. They're to wait on the Lord for a renewal of strength. Like they find themselves at this low point, and instead of sulking in it, the, the call is to look to God, and he will give them strength. He will help them. And then just like look to God and just wait. Wait expectantly. Don't wait with your hands in your pockets. Wait these people were to wait thinking on the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and, and desiring him and following after him. And, and he's going to, in his perfect timing, restore them, which is just uh, amazing. So we can look at all of that, and I, I think it's um, something that we can look at for our benefit as well. It's not just, not just uh, Israel uh, headed to exile and thinking about God coming and restoring them, but also these things are written for us. We can look back. There's, these things are written for examples. These, these things about God, like he doesn't change. His word stands forever. He's always the same. And so we look at these realities about who God is in light of all that's going on in Isaiah and all these things that are true about him, they're still true. And as they relate to his people, those things are still true as well. These, these continual principles about God taking care of his people and comforting them. So Ultimately, you know, we can ask ourselves a few questions uh, about this. We, we can think about, you know, uh, assess our situation. Are we in a low spot? You know, are, are we in this place of just despair? Uh, it happens. 
if you're not right now, you maybe just came out of one, you're about to go into one, and people you love that are around you are in one right now too. Like, it's just the way of the world. There's this, this um, roller coaster that we're on. Like, it's just, we're, we're down, and sometimes down, and it's just, it just can't get any worse, it seems, and then it does, and it's just there's sickness, and there's, there's suffering, and there's difficulty, and there's strife at home, and there's trouble at work, and just around every turn, there's, there's turmoil and difficulty, there's violence, there's, you turn on the news, and it's just, everything's just so bad so often. You know, what do we do? Do we just kind of crumble under the weight of all of that? Or do we do like God was commanding his people here, to look to him, to behold him, and to wait on him? And so, what do we wait for? What are, what are we waiting for in, in the midst of this? It's not just kind of a, I'm just going to hold tight where I'm at and do nothing. Like, what, what are we, what's the wait look like? And I think we can look at it from two different perspectives. I, I think we can look at it in the short term. You know, we're, we're struggling. We're in the pit. Uh, and we pray to God and ask him for his help. And we wait, trusting that he's going to help us out of the pit. He's going to help us uh, overcome. He's going to help us through. Uh, we're struggling with a decision we have to make. We're, we're, we're we're sitting on that with, what, what am I supposed to do? Well, we pray for God for wisdom and we wait. We wait for him expectantly to help us because he's promised he will. We may be sick. We may be struggling with, with, with some disease. And, and we know that there's no ironclad promise that we, we pray in faith and, and we're going to get healed and we're going to get better. But that doesn't stop us from praying and asking God for help and trusting that he is the one who is able to bring us out of that. And so we don't just wait and do nothing. We wait and we pray. God, help me. Help my sister-in-law. Help whoever it is that's struggling with whatever they're struggling with. God, heal them if it be your will. You can do that. We pray to him and we wait expectantly for him to bring about his plan. And we wait. As we wait, we trust. We trust that whatever he brings about is, is his will. Maybe we need strength. We pray for God that he would strengthen us because he's he said he will, even here in this passage. So that's the short term. But what about the long term? Because we can also look at it from that vantage point. We can, we can know that this world is just a fallen, wretched place. And just around every corner there's strife. But we can know that, that that's coming to an end. And that there's going to be restoration and there's going to be the glory of God on display. And he's going to come and make everything right. And so in the meantime, we wait patiently. We, we, we pray and ask God for help and, and, and look for his coming, as the scriptures tell us to. But we wait. We wait patiently. We wait expectantly. We wait trusting in him and ultimately there'll be this this renewal of strength uh, in in the new heavens and the new earth there'll, there'll be this experience of these of this renewal uh, that we can, we won't taste here on earth but we can look forward to uh, experiencing that in heaven so we wait patiently with our eyes on him um, as you came in many of you got a a copy of a hymn i'm not Sure, I'm familiar with the, the hymn tune here, but the hymn text is one that I came in contact with uh, several years ago, and, and it stuck with me. Um, and it's just, it's just so good, and it's just so helpful in consideration of what we've just been looking at. Um, so if you look at it, uh, the name of the hymn just goes along with the first line, Thou lovely source of true delight. So we're singing about God. Thou lovely source of true delight, whom I unseen adore, Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I may love thee more. So imploring God to, to, to show him, himself to us so we can behold him. Like the, like the passage says, behold your God. Thy glory or creation shines, but in thy sacred word I read in fairer, brighter lines. 
my bleeding, dying Lord. So the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies display his handiwork. Uh, the, the idea from Romans chapter 1 that, that creation is, uh, we know there's a God. So creation is revealing that. But then we go to the scriptures and the good news. I read in fairer, brighter lines, my bleeding, dying Lord. We learn about salvation through Christ in his word. Tis here whene'er my comforts droop and sin and sorrow rise. Thy love with cheering beams of hope my fainting heart supplies. I mean, think about the Israelites. Their hearts were fainting. Think about your heart in difficulty. It's fainting, maybe in your sin, maybe in your sorrow. Um, the love of God, and I love with cheering beams of hope, my fainting heart surprise. So remembering who God is brings about this renewal. But then verse 4 is super helpful in my opinion because it expresses definitely my experience of life. So, so at the end of that last stanza, my fainting heart supplies, I, I, I've, been, I've been given strength, I've been given help. Verse 4, but ah, too soon the pleasing scene is clouded o'er with pain. My gloomy fears rise dark between, and I again complain. That roller coaster, right? Like, and, and we're just so acquainted with it, we're so familiar with it. Um, Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful ray, bright, radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love, but the full glories of thy face are only known above. So the hymn writer here is acquainted with the reality that it's just, it's hills and valleys. It's, it's good times, it's bad times. Um, and, and so often the, the bad times are accompanied with our complaining and it just makes it worse. And we take our eyes off of God and we're not beholding him and trusting him and waiting patiently for him. But then this breath, this, this help, this life that comes from the word kind of comes in and we just experience over and over. But then we wait expectantly for just the realities that this last stanza talk about. Um, the full glories of that face are only known above. That one day when we're with him, that part of our earthly existence is just going to fade away. If we're his, if we're with him, if we're trusting in Christ, if we belong to him, if we've repented of our sins, if we've trusted the gospel, believed in the risen Christ, then we'll be able to behold God in such a special way for eternity that like, we, we don't see right now. We'll see him in a, in, a, in a special way for eternity and be able to be in his presence and, and, and rejoice in him and, and worship him and glorify him uh, forever. Uh, so that, I mean, that, that should just make us think. You know, each one of us, are we, are we there? Are we, are we trusting in Christ? Are we finding our, our source of delight in him? Are we comforted by him? Are we looking at his greatness in the midst of things that are hard? Are we waiting on him in patient expectation that he's going to help us? Or are we running from him? Maybe we're not even believing in him to start with. Uh, maybe we're not trusting in Christ. We, we each need to examine our hearts. Are we in Christ? Are we trusting him? If we are, are we running from vistas of his goodness and grace in his word uh, that would help us in our current situation? Um, let's pray together. God, we do thank you for your word. And I pray that we would uh, examine ourselves daily. Um, we would examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. We would work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling uh, daily. Um, God, and we know that you are the one who is uh, working in us. So help us to trust you and help us to work these things out. Help us to wait expectantly for you uh, in the midst of the struggle, in the, mix of, in the midst of the strife or the distress. Help us to genuinely wait for you and, and wait for that strength to be renewed uh, in, our, in our fainting hearts. 
And that would be evidence in the, the, the way we speak in distress. And be evidence in the way that we treat our families, in the way that we treat our friends and our coworkers, that even in the midst of distress, there would be this expectant waiting inside of our, our hearts and our lives that we're, we're waiting for the renewal of the strength of God, of your strength. And we can trust in you and we don't lash out at others in the midst of our difficulty. God, we thank you that you're merciful and gracious and you're patient. We're thankful that you're not constrained by the powers on earth or any earthly thing. God, you are sovereign over it. So help us to keep these views in front of us. Help us to continually behold you in these ways so that we can be helped and comforted. We thank you for our time in your word. Pray that you would help us now as we sing to your glory and then as we leave from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.